right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome, welcome. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. I want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family. It's great to have you here in Florence. Can we give it up to our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg? It's good to have you guys. And to all of our VIPs and guests, we're glad that you're here. We say this every week that Jesus, come on, he is the hope of the world. So whatever you're going through, whatever your struggle is, whatever your challenge is, man, open your heart up to God's grace. Allow him to meet you where you are. We say it every week because for some of us, it's a declaration. Come on, does anybody here know that God is good and that Jesus is our hope? Come on, man, we praise him with that. For some of you, man, it's maybe not your declaration. It just needs to be your confession that maybe you're in a bad season or a difficult place and in light of what you see and in spite of what you see. We just need to just declare, man, Jesus, you're my hope. No matter what I'm going through, God, you're going to bring me through. Anybody here know that God will bring you through some really tough times? So listen, hey, uh, we jump in here week three of this series, Thin Skin. Everybody say Thin Skin. I've made this confession before, but it'll help me where I want to go today. I um, Confession, right? I think it's funny when people trip. I, I don't know what it is, and it's, it's, I know it's not just me because there are plenty of YouTube videos and channels that are like just, I mean, I could just spend a whole day burning through YouTube videos of watching people like ski accidents and people tripping on skateboards and falling over. I know, pray for me. I don't know what to tell you, but come on, how many people, I'm not the only one. How many people think it's just a little bit funny? Like, it's not funny if they get hurt. That's, it crosses the line. A little wince is okay. It's crazy, but here's the thing is I'll sit and laugh at it, and I just don't watch it. If I have the opportunity, I will contribute to it. I'm 47 years old, but I'm not too old to trip somebody if they're in front of me. I mean, people I know, like I just don't randomly trip people in Walmart, <laughs> usually. <laughs> it, but here's what's crazy is, right? So this, uh, this last year, January, my son, he plays basketball. And so, you know, we're watching him out on the court and in the middle of a play. It's not really, they're not pushing the ball hard. The, the point guard's bringing the ball up and they're on offense. And so they're running down to get into place. And my son's kind of jogging up the court to get into place, and while he's running underneath the backboard in the key, uh, one of the defensive players stuck out his foot and tripped him. And when he stumbled and caught himself, uh, he tore his ACL, had to have surgery, lost the whole season. Now, here's, here's why I share that is because, um, you know, when I'm watching other people trip, it's funny, but when it was my son, it wasn't. Come on, it wasn't so funny. In fact, I was pretty, I was pretty upset the kid that tripped him, I don't know if you guys are watching, like they're building kids bigger today. And this kid had a beard, which gave me permission to do what I wanted to do. Like you got a beard, like, you know, all bets are off. That's all I'm saying. You may be 14, but you look 21. <laughs> but I mean, think about the irony of if, if we watch, if I watch somebody trip, it's funny, but if someone trips me, it's not funny. Right? If, if it happens to somebody else, it's no big deal. But if it happens to me, all of a sudden, it's really a big deal. And there's something to that, especially when it comes to the topic of, of thin skin. And we're talking about thin skin. If you're new here, this is your first week. We're talking about this idea of offense, that we are living in an ever-increasing culture of offense. It seems like, again, that, that offense is becoming more intense. Everybody is offended about everything all the time. We are offended at all kinds of things. We are offended, again, at politics, and we're offended at policies and policemen and pronouns and like on and on and on. We get offended at family members, and we're offended at what's happening at work, and we're offended at what's happening in our home. And at some point, we just have to stop the madness because we are watching around us and in the mirror 
like our, thin getting, our skin getting thinner by the day. We're just more and more easily offended. And so Jesus, he had a lot to say on this topic. Matthew chapter 24, he said this. He said, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And again, his topic was him coming back, his second coming. And basically his point here is as it gets closer and closer to him coming back, one of the signs of his coming would be that that offense would be on the increase, that we would see more and more people getting offended. And if you're, you're paying attention, come on, that is happening everywhere we look, including us. We are just more easily and more quickly offended. And so what we've been saying through this is ultimately Jesus, his position on offense was that it's not really just a cultural issue, and it's more than a political issue. Ultimately, Jesus, he spends this in a way, especially if you are a Christ follower, that this is really a spiritual issue because the word that he uses to talk about offenses is this word. It's, it's a visual picture of a trap, a baited trap that an animal would ca- get caught in or a stumbling stone that somebody would trip over. So it's something, that you get, it's something that you get trapped in or something you trip over. But at the end of the day, when we buy the lie of offense, it hurts us spiritually. In fact, week one, we said this, that offenses have expenses. That you have the right to be offended. If you want to get mad at church people, you want to get mad at government, you want to be offended at society, you feel like you have the moral high ground and you're disappointed at how people are behaving, you have and I have that right to be offended, but we just need to know that there's a true cost that comes with carrying that offense. It it costs us. Come on, it costs us our joy. It costs us our peace. We talked about it costs us our purpose. And, uh, And then Jesus went on and he said this. The second week we said this. Jesus said that it's impossible that no offenses will come. Like, it's, like at the end of the day, we're not just going to get past this. Like, it's impossible. How many people know, like, offense, how many people had some offense happen this week, right? We had offense happen maybe today. Offenses are just going to keep coming. And so the challenge last week was this, is that just because, just the way others are responsible for being offensive, we're responsible for being offended, that just because offenses come your way doesn't obligate us to be offended. And some of us, if we are trapped in offense, if, man, we're carrying unforgiveness in our heart, if we're bitter at society and culture, we got to find a way to get free. And ultimately, we talked last week that we have to have a good defense to the offenses that are coming our way. And so if you didn't hear those last two messages, I'd encourage you to go back and, and check it out. But today, I want to flip the script, and I want to talk about this other side of the coin. Because I don't know if you know it, but again, living in this world, in this society, it's easy to look at everybody else and see how offensive they are to me, to see how offensive society and culture is to me. And so we're looking and we're always paying attention to how offensive everybody is, but we're not really realizing, you know, that sometimes, like, we're not just offended, but sometimes we are offensive. Like, we're paying attention to how everybody else is offending us, but sometimes we miss that we're offending others. If you're taking notes, I want you to hear this. Uh, God doesn't want us to live being offended or being offensive. And I think probably the second is more important. So that's what we're going to dig in today. It's as we go through culture and we go through society, I want us to know that God has called us to live a life where we're not just guarding our heart against being offended, but we're guarding our heart and we're guarding relationships and we're guarding our influence to make sure we're not being offensive. In fact, Luke 17, 1, again, I want you to see this. He said, again, then he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Do you know why it's impossible? 
Here's why. is because all of us have what's called the human condition. We have emotions and we have viewpoints and like it's just who we are. And we live in a world, right, where be, between insensitive people and oversensitive people, offenses are going to happen. There's a lot of us in this room, if we're just honest, we're just kind of, we're a little overly sensitive. Just it doesn't take much to get you fired up. It doesn't take much to get you going. And you might excuse it by saying, well, I'm Italian or, I'm, I, or whatever it is. Like, come on, it just, in fact, sometimes things don't even happen to you. There's some of you in this room or some of you watching online or in Lawrenceburg, you just get offended on somebody else's behalf. It didn't even happen to you, and you just feel the obligation to carry the offense for society and culture. And so some of us, if we're honest, we're just a little overly sensitive. But some of us, if we're honest, we're just insensitive. Like, we don't care. Like, you just need to get over it. If that upsets you, oh, well, that's your problem. And so between kind of this, this, this pendulum swing, between kind of this diametric thing that's happening in society and culture that some of us in this room are quick to be offended and some of us in this room are quick to be offensive, offenses are going to happen. The insensitive are the ones that are offensive. The oversensitive are the ones that are offended. And here's what's crazy. I want you to pull in and hear this. Have you noticed that when we get offended, it's, we put it on other people that they need to quit being so sensitive. And it's the same thing if we are offensive, then they just need to quit being so oversensitive. Like the thing is that no matter what the position is, what's happening, we make everybody else responsible to change, that, that you're accountable to make the adjustment, that I don't have to change, that, that if, you're being overly, if you're being overly sensitive, you, need to, you just need to toughen up. And if you're in the place where you're offending me, you need to grow up. But we put it on everybody else. And at the end of the day, I just want you to hear this, that again, God wants all of us in this room to take responsibility for not just being offended, but for being offensive. Like it's on us. And if somebody's going to change, it has to happen in this room. We have made this stand as the American church that society needs to change, that culture needs to change, they need to change. I want you to know that the heart of God is that he changed the hearts of his people. And God wants us to change long before culture ever changes. Come on, somebody. You know, just, just yesterday, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit funny as, uh, as I live my life, you know, as, as a communicator, as a, as a preacher, you know, I get the privilege to stand up here and, and do what I get to do. And, but my wife hears these messages, and she does hold them against me. Like, remember what you said? And I'm like. <laughs> so just yesterday, um, you know, we have family in town, and so we're getting ready to, I actually had a meeting here, so I was getting ready to come over here, and it's about 30 minutes before I have to go. And, you know, probably like a lot of your houses, we have several bathrooms, and so I have my bathroom and then the other bathrooms, and my bathroom is for me, and the other bathrooms are for everybody else. And unless you want to see what the stork saw, you need to go to your own bathroom. Come on, somebody. And so I went into, <laughs> I went into, my, uh, went into my bathroom to get ready, and uh, my daughter was in there with my wife. And I just walked in, and this is basically how the conversation went. I said, hey, uh, you need to get out of here because this is my bathroom. You need to go somewhere else. What are you doing? And my daughter's like, well, I'm doing my hair. I'm like, well, go to another bathroom. I got to get ready. And so she grabbed her stuff, rolled her eyes, and left. <laughs> and uh, so I go in to get some clothes to figure out what I'm going to wear. And my wife says to me, what are you preaching on tomorrow? 
which was a rhetorical question. Generally, she doesn't know what I'm preaching on for years. She'll tell me, she'll say, what are you preaching on? I always say, Jesus. And, uh, but she knew what I was preaching on, which was her way. And she actually, she just said it. She said, you know, you're talking about being offensive. You know, you could have handled this a little bit different. Like, you know, you just kind of walked in here and bullied your way. And I like, I didn't even realize it. And she's like, so what do you think you need to do? And I'm like, well, you need to shut up. <laughs> when you're married 26 years, you can say that. But my point is like, I just want you to hear this. It is so easy to be offensive and not realize it. And at the end of the day, God is calling us like the issue is, come on, the issue isn't how thin someone's skin is. Maybe the issue is how hard our hearts are, that we post our posts and we make our comments and we take our stands and we are offensive to culture and we are driving a wedge between the people God has called us to reach. And so we need to quit being offended for sure, but we need to stop being offensive because offenses have expenses. I want you to see this again. Watch what Jesus said. He says this in Luke 17, 1, again, one more time. Then he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Are you ready for this? Watch. But woe to him through whom they come. He's saying if, if you want to be offended, that's your right. And if you want to be offensive, that's your right. But he says if you're the one causing offense, if you're the one taking your stand, shouting your position, if you're the one dividing culture, if you're the one sowing disunity, he says, I want you to know there's a price to pay. Woe to you through whom offense has come. And he says this. He says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea then he should offend one of these little ones. Jesus is going like Godfather here. He's saying, I'd rather you wear cement shoes and take a, right, a dip in a pool than continue to be offensive in the culture and the society you live and push people. Little ones is not just little in age, but little in maturity, little in society, insignificant, than driving a wedge and being offensive and moving people away from me instead of closer to me. If you're taking notes just for a few minutes, what I want to talk about is we have to make this decision. Either we're going to be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. We're either going to cause people to stumble in their walk, in their faith, in their relationship with Christ, or we're going to be a stepping stone. And through our life and through how we act and through how we carry ourselves and through what we post on social media, we're going to be a stepping stone to help people get closer to Christ and not cause people to stumble in their relationship with Christ. How many people want to be a stepping stone? Come on. Then something has to change. We have to get away from being so easily not just offended, but again, so easily offensive. I think part of it, I think really probably this, this whole series probably would come down to this idea that I think it's easy for us to so take for granted how much influence we have in the weight of our words. You can be here and you can feel like you're not very important, maybe in your family, you know, maybe you're the youngest or maybe on the socioeconomic scale, maybe you don't feel like you have a lot of money or you're not very popular in school or, you know, you don't have a lot of likes on your posts or whatever. And, and sometimes it's easy to minimize who we are and the influence we carry. And what you need to understand and what I need to understand and remember is that God's word says that there's, there's life and death is in the power of the tongue, which means if you have a tongue, if you use words, you can destroy people. You can divide people. You can hurt people or you can help people. Like he told Jeremiah the prophet, he said, man, he said, your words can, they can build up or they can tear down. 
you can plant things in people's life or you can uproot things in people's lives. And so, again, I, I think at the end of the day, if you're here and you're like, you know, uh, my voice doesn't really matter. I have an opinion, but it doesn't really bother anybody. Don't minimize, don't minimize the fact that people are listening to you, that our words do have weight in our lives. We do carry influence. And I think at the end of the day, sometimes it's not just directly. People are watching you. If you are a Christ follower, they, what they're trying to do is they're trying to marry how you live with what you confess. And I want people to see in me, and I want them to see in you. What God wants them to see in us is that we are living out the confession of our faith, that they're not finding, listen, they're not finding perfect people. And that has begun the excuse of the American church is, I can live however I want because after all, I'm not perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but we need to live a lifestyle that represents the Christ we serve, that when people watch us, they want to be like us and serve the God we serve. And they won't do that if we continue to be offensive. And so we have to choose. Are we going to be a stumbling stone or a stumbling block or a stepping stone? And every conversation and things we do and things we say really drive that choice of how we're influencing the society we live in. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at kind of this conversation for the last few minutes that, that Paul has on this idea of kind of the oversensitive and the insensitive and this discussion that was happening in his culture. But I want to lay some background for you so we know where we're going to go. Uh, you know, kind of like when you go through America, obviously the majority of religious buildings and settings you're going to see are Christian churches. You know, you drive down 72 and there's like churches everywhere. And, um, but you're not just going to see churches. You're going to see synagogues where, you know, Jewish people worship. You're going to see from time to time, probably not really here, but if you drive through the landscape of America, you're going to see a um, Buddhist temple uh, you will see Muslim mosques. And so you're going to see this diversity of faith where different groups of people go and worship in different ways. And if you come here and you maybe have never been in a church, you know, part of the way that we worship congregationally is we do it through, through singing. We do it through lifting our hands as the body. We're singing together and worshiping God. We, we give offerings, right? Financially, we, we believe that what we have is not ours. It belongs to God. And so we're giving back. And so that's part of our worship Part of our worship is doing what we're doing right here, just hearing God's word and allowing it to, to penetrate our heart and change the way we live. And so again, if you walk in here, there is a, there is a way that we worship. And so during the time that Paul lived, if, as he, the kind of the modern cities that he walked in in his time, he would walk into all these different houses of worship and they all worshiped really in a different way. And there was, there was this diversity of gods that were worshiped in the first century. And so there were, there were Greek gods and there, were, there was the Jewish God and right, I mean, there were still the Roman gods. Like, so all of this diversity of worship, but at the end of the day, no matter where you went to worship, there was some kind of sacrifice to the gods you worship to get his approval or to get his favor. And one of the most common ways of sacrifice and worship was animals that people would sacrifice an animal to their God in their name to get favor or to get forgiveness. And like, you know, heads up, Jesus, just really good news. He is the final sacrifice once and for all. We don't ever have to sacrifice anything. Jesus died once for all, for everybody, for all sin of all time. Come on, is anybody here thankful for the great sacrifice of Jesus? So again, here's, here's kind of the story. Here's what Paul is writing about is as he's going through, he recognizes there is this debate happening in the church. And the debate is this, that in some of the places of worship where they would make these animal sacrifices, like they would make an animal sacrifice to, you know, to Zeus, or they would make an animal sacrifice to, 
you know, to whatever God they were worshiping, they would then take the meat of that sacrifice after church was over and they would take that cow, let's say cow, because I like beef. Do we have any beef lovers in the house? Come on, somebody. Woo, going to five guys after this. <laughs> and they would take it and they would grind it up and they would sell it in the marketplace and they would sell the meat. And so some Christian would be like coming from church. You know how we go get something to eat after church? And they would come from where they were worshiping Jesus at church and they would, work, they would go by the temple of Aphrodite where a cow was just sacrificed and they ground up for meat. And they would be like, hey, can I get a large double burger with cheese, onions, pickles, right, on a sesame seed bun? And it was like it, all they saw was a burger. Well, there were some other Christians that said, wait a minute, you can't eat that burger? That's an Aphrodite burger. That was sacrificed to another God. And if you eat that meat that was sacrificed to another God, you're going to defile yourself and God's going to be mad at you. And so there was this debate, like, can you eat the Aphrodite burger or can you not? Is it just a burger or is it really something? And so there were people that were offended in the first century. There were people that were offended because some people were saying to them, you can't eat the burger. And then the other side, they were offended because people chose to eat the burger anyways. I don't know if you catch on, like, we don't have a burger issue of in sacrifice meat issue. We have a big political issue. Everybody's got their stand and everybody's holding their ground. Everybody's yelling across the aisle. And we are divided by offense. And we need to stop not just being offended, but we need to stop being offense if. And so Paul jumps into this topic and it's, you know, ding, 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 ding. And in this corner, coming in at 5'9", 137 pounds in black shorts with white trunks, it is the oversensitive. And in this corner, coming in at 5'7", 134 pounds, it's the oversensitive, right? You know, it's like, let's get ready to rumble. And he lays it down. Here it is. Now, regarding your question about food that's been offered to idols, Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat? What about the Aphrodite burgers? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god because there's only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, but, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but for us, for Christians, there is one God, the Father by whom all things were created and for whom we live, and there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real, so when, we, when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For the temple of an idol, uh, won't they be encouraged? I'm sorry, back. For if they see you with their superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience and by eating food that's been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer from whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, 
I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Our lives are either stumbling stones or stepping blocks. Like, it's, it's one or the other. So you got to ask yourself, like, so who won the fight? Like, whose side is God on? You want to know whose side God is on? God is always on the side of the weak. And God expects his followers to be people that bear the weight of the weak, which means no matter what side we're on, God is on the other side, which means if, if, we, are the, if we are the oversensitive, God really does look at us and God, wants you to, God doesn't want you to carry that offense. God doesn't want your life robbed of peace and robbed of joy by carrying offense. But if you are the insensitive, God's on the other side and he's looking at us telling us, listen, stop having such a hard heart and God wants to give us grace and God wants to give us compassion for other people. And so no matter where you're at, if you are the offended or the offensive, God wants to help us to grow, to be people who are connected and not disconnected. And so I want to look, just pull a couple of these verses out real quick. He says this, verse one, he says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, watch this, it's love that strengthens the church. We talked last week about this idea that there's, there's a gap. Everybody say the gap. The gap that exists between what we expect and what we experience. And that's where offense comes from. And there is a gap between us and God. And that, that gap is between what he expected from us and what he experiences from us. And what covered the gap between us and our creator was, was love, the love of his son. And we're called to walk the same way, that we, we cover the gap by love. And I want you to notice this idea is for all of us is as we hold our positions. Again, notice Paul, he says this. He says, I got, that, I got that you all have knowledge. What he was saying was everybody has their doctrinal argument laid out. Like you got your verses and you have your statistics. But he's saying knowledge isn't enough. And I want you to know something. If we're going to get past the place where we're being offensive, we need to always see the person before we see our position. We need to realize we're talking to people whom Christ died. We're talking to people who need Jesus. We're talking to a society and culture that deserve peace as much as we deserve peace. Come on, somebody. But a lot of us, we see our position first, and we forget we're talking to people, which makes us stand our ground, become more aggressive, and we don't care what people think. God wants us to stop being offensive. Again, man, we have, our, we have our knowledge. Have you noticed if you follow social media that everybody has their position so defined, like everybody has their metrics? We can talk about so strategically and intelligently about our position. We can lay down all the knowledge we have on why everyone should be able to have guns because this is how many lives were saved because people have guns. And then the other side of the aisle that, well, this is how many lives have been taken. Like everybody has knowledge, but do we have love? See, we live in this age where we have informed heads but illiterate hearts. We have our position and we have why we believe what we believe and this is, this is why we feel about climate change and this is why we disagree with climate change. This is the, there, there may be a gay gene, but we disagree with gay people. And like everybody's got their position and we have our statistics and we have our, like why we believe what we believe. And so Paul's saying, yeah, it's great that you have knowledge, but do you have love? Because it's okay to have an argument, but if you're winning arguments but losing people, we lose. Because our job and our call as the Christian church is to crowd heaven, and we can't do it with gaps between us and the people we're trying to reach. <laughs> See, this is the thing that really set Jesus apart from the religious teachers of the day. Like, Jesus knew the law better than they knew it, but all they had was the law. 
And Jesus said, the letter of the law kills. Your argument, your argument might be 100% right, and it still kills. Your position on racism, sexism, bigotry, your position on policies and politicians, you may be 100% right in your position. You may have a very well-informed opinion. And in the eyes of Christ, it's wrong if it's offensive and divides us from people. So here's a question. We live in an incredibly literate culture where everybody's opinion is, in, is, in, is informed. What are you doing to inform your heart? What are we doing to remind ourselves that the people who are reading our posts, the people who are watching our life, the people who are eavesdropping on our conversations, what are we doing to inform our hearts that those are people that we're trying to reach? Because it's okay to have knowledge, but if you don't have love, and that's Paul's argument. He's not really taking anybody's side. He's saying, whatever's driving your position that's offending society, is there any love in there? Do you realize you're talking to people or is it just your opinion? He goes on and he says this in verse nine. He says, but you must be careful. Everybody shout, be careful. But you must be careful that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. He's saying this, he's saying we should never allow our freedom to compromise somebody else's faith. And this is so important, I think, for us, especially in the culture we live, that some of us in this place, we have to remember that our responsibility of Christians outweighs our rights as Americans. Oh, come on. I know we got some, I know we got some people here that you're conservative or you're progressive and you're going to stand your ground. I want you to know that the kingdom of God existed long before this country did, and the kingdom of God will exist long after this country's gone. I'm thankful for this nation. I believe God planted this nation. I'm thankful for the freedom of this nation. But I want you to know if my freedoms keep me from being a Christ follower, I lose. It's kingdom first, constitution second, and it's got to be that way. It's got to be getting order. Come on. Does anybody hear what I'm telling you today? We got it backwards. Well, it's my right to believe this. It's my right to say this. I have, like, I have, you know, I have right, freedom of the press, and I have, you know, freedom of expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also have responsibility to win people. You have responsibility to bridge gaps. We have responsibility to love people. Come on, our responsibility as a Christian is greater than our rights as Americans. And if we lose focus of those two, we're in trouble. And we live in a society that I think nationalism's great. I'm not opposed to it. It's great. I stand. I, I pledge allegiance. I stand whatever, whatever. But if your opinion on the political landscape is keeping you divided from people, we lose. So Jesus says, hey, I don't want, I don't want your heart overwhelmed with offense. It's robbing you. A thief has gotten in and robbed us of peace. And we tra chase through social media and we flip through Fox News and we listen to CNN and we watch the landscape of morality change and adjust. And some of us, man, we have no peace. And you're more worried about tomorrow what happens in America and we're not worried enough about what's happening in eternity. And we stand our ground and we yell our opinion and just people just need to get over it. The insensitive. We call them snowflakes. Millennials are snowflakes. Gen Z, they're snowflakes. Like they just, they just need to toughen up. Well, what if they don't? 
that just gives you a right to be a bully? God always takes the side of the weak. Read scripture. Every time God takes the side of the weak. And then we have this other side of, again, you know, we're not just, not just oversensitive, we're insensitive. The oversensitive, just people need to thicken up their skin. They need to get over it. And then there's this insensitive thing that we have going on. Some of you are going to get offended here, and you'll get over it. Just listen to the messages. <laughs> Where, again, people just, everybody else is accountable to adjust. I grew up in a society and culture. I grew up in the 70s. And so we grew up playing a game. Some of you maybe played it where you get four or five friends and you go out on the playground, you get a football and play Smear the Queer. And if you had a business deal with like one of your buddies, you were trading some baseball cards or you were buying a bike and you, want, you wanted a good deal, you would Jew the person down. And if you didn't like something, it was gay or retarded. If you listen, you can hear a pin drop. And like, we've just hooked on, like, well, that's just who I am. They just, they didn't just need to quit being so, say, I don't mean anything by it. But if you are offending people, whether you mean to or not, the responsibility isn't just on them. It is on us. Offenses have expenses. We are accountable for what we say. We're accountable for our spiritual footprint. God is looking at us and he's not expecting everybody else to adjust to us. He's expecting us to adjust the culture so we can impact them. We can't do it divided from them. We can only do it in relationship with them. And that means sometimes we have to lay down our position so we can pick up Christ. Come on, somebody. Stop being offensive. Stop waiting for everybody else to adjust and change to your position. And maybe, maybe God is expecting us to do the adjusting. Again, either we're a stumbling block or we're a stepping stone. Last verse. Verse 13, he says this. It's real quiet, y'all. It's okay. Everybody take a breath. He said retarded in church. Well, y'all, why, is it, why is it offensive that I said it in church and some of you say it in backdoor conversations on the regular and it doesn't matter? So he says this, verse 13, last, last part of this conversation. Does anybody feel like they need to do a better job not being so offensive? Me too. My wife too. <laughs> I was like, well, you're being offensive to me. I didn't say it, but I thought it. <clears throat> verse 13, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, listen to this. Like, I like me a burger. What I eat causes another believer to sin. I will never eat meat again as long as I live. You want to talk about a man committed to winning people? I'll be vegan if it takes, takes that to reach people. You say, did he mean, really mean that? I think this is a little bit of hyperbolic speech. I think he's saying I'm at least not going to put myself in the position where when they watch me, they see me, they associate with me that it's going to call. I like, like I'm going to eat burgers at home with the doors closed. In the, in the like he's sneaking burgers. He's still eating burgers, let's be clear. But he's not posting pictures of him doing it on, on social media. You know, vegans forget you. Hashtag vegans take a flying leap. You know what I'm saying? No. He says this. He says, I'll never, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Everybody hear this. He was willing to lay down his personal position to reach people. People matter more than your position matters. People matter 
more than your position matters. People matter more than your position matters. People matter more than your position matters. Now, I've been saying this throughout this whole series. Next week, I promise, it's going to be the hardest week for all of us to hear, for me to preach. There are reasons as a culture we should be offended. I'm going to talk about those. And there are times it is necessary to be offensive. So for all your reasons, Pastor, what about? Pastor, what about? Save it for next week. I'm not talking about the serious things of society that we need to wrestle with and we need to have conversations on. I'm talking about the silly things that most of us are so overwhelmed by. Again, we've, we've given up our peace for a position and we've given up our influence for a position. And God's saying, I want you to stop being offended. And I want you to stop being offensive. 1 Corinthians, last verse. Again, Paul, this, this conversation was so big, you'll find that he wrote about it, the insensitive to the oversensitive, the whole meat issue. He wrote about it to the church in Rome, the book of Romans chapter 14. He spent, almost, he spent an entire chapter, and then he comes back to it two chapters later to talk about the same issue because positions are important, but people are more important, right? And he says this. He ends his conversation right here. He says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 to 33. Every voice here, read this with me. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Post to the glory of God. Have conversations to the glory of God. Take a position, but do it for the glory of God. Don't give offense. Don't cause people to stumble. Don't bait the trap to Jews or Gentiles or to the church of God. I too, watch this. He says, I try, which means he wasn't perfect at it, but I try to please everyone and everything I do I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so they may be saved. He says, do everything you do for the glory of God, which means here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want people not to see my position as much as they see his position. I don't want to elevate my opinion. I want to elevate Christ. When people see me, I want them to see the goodness and the glory and the grace of the Lord Jesus. I don't want them to see my political opinion and my opinion on sex and my opinion on race and my opinion on power. I want people to see Jesus because I can't save anybody, which means your opinion, again, it's, it's not winning people. Your opinion isn't changing minds. It's probably likely influencing hearts in a negative way. And so Paul says, get the light off of me, and I'm going to, everything I do is for the glory of God. Because I want people to come to Christ. So if, if, you, if you think Paul didn't have an opinion, you're wrong. He had opinions, and he wrote about them. He took stands, and he had opinions, and he took positions. But he said, the stuff that doesn't matter, I will push it aside. So I can win people to Christ. So what matters most to you? Your position or people? I think if we're honest, most of us, we live our life, including me, that I get caught in the trap that my position matters. And my hope and my prayer is that God will adjust something in all of us here at Faith Church in Florence and Lawrenceburg. And God will begin to elevate people over position. That we're going to live our lives as a stepping stone and not a stumbling block. How many people feel like that would be your preference? I need to stop being so offensive. I want my life to be a stepping stone to Jesus. Father, I'm thankful, God, for the challenge of this word in my own life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. We have become so impassioned in our own position, in our own opinion. And God, we have forgotten our responsibility 
to win people, to influence society and to elevate you. And so, Lord, I pray God, bring us back to that place where that's what matters most. I pray, Father, let us, let us take responsibility in the culture we live for the offense that we've taken on and for the offense that we're causing other people to carry. Father, we repent for actions and attitudes and conversations that have been a stumbling block to others. From social media to the lifestyle we walk in, I pray, Father, help us to be accountable to you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, make us aware. I pray, Holy Spirit, you lead and guide our steps this week. Again, Lord, to make people matter over our position. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just for one more second, I want you to know that, again, we said it, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And ultimately, he's the hope for salvation. The Bible says, man, all of us have been made by God and for God, but we choose to live life our own way sometimes. And doing life our own way outside of God's way, outside of God's will, that's what sin is. And sin separates us from a God who loves us. And there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap, but because God loves us, because God loves you, he sent his son, Jesus, to rescue you. And Jesus did that by dying on the cross for our sin. He died in our place. And all we have to do to be forgiven, to find hope, is just say, Jesus, save me. To put your trust in the one who came to rescue. And the Bible says the moment you do that, you're forgiven. You get a brand new start. And you're put into a relationship with your creator forever. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus or you're backslidden and you're away from God and maybe one day there was a time where you love God, but right now maybe you're just going through the motions or maybe you know you're not where you need to be and today you need to recommit your life to Christ. As we close this service, I want to give you an opportunity to make sure you know that you're his and he's yours. And so I want to pray a prayer and you can follow my prayer. You can pray your own and just in desperation say, God, save me. And I want you to know that he will always hear the prayer of the desperate and the humble. So if you're not saved, if your life is not right with God, as I pray this, I want you to pray too. Say, Jesus, I thank you for saving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin in my place and you offer me grace and forgiveness. So help me to live my life in a way that honors you and to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees, said amen. Come on, can we honor the Lord today? Hey, listen, if you just prayed that prayer, you gave your life to Jesus, you can text ALIVE to 97000. We'll send you a quick text with some resources that will help you in your spiritual journey. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week for week four.